this is the next lecture recording for Jeffrey Chaucer's general prologue to the Canterbury Tales. We were uh, discussing the guildsmen's profiles in the last lecture. I'm going to start with the cook's profile. This is in the book, this is on page number 79. And the cook is accompanying uh, the guildsmen as uh, somewhat of a private servant. And uh, Harriet Raghunathan on page number 78, she notes that uh, even though knights and other pilgrims of high status like the surgeon and lord do not feel the need to take their own cook along, the guildsmen who seem to be upstarts do so. The cook later tells us his name is Hodge, which is short for Roger or Ware, uh, a town in Hertfordshire, north of London, and so on and so forth. Um, the cook is presented as an expert in the techniques of medieval cooking, which required the use of many spices. But he also has an ulcer, uh, kind of scabies on his shin, which uh, for medieval England, medieval Europe, would have been seen as a sign of overindulgence in strong drink and sexual association with diseased women. Another way in which, um, you know, social appearance, uh, the kind of temperament, the kind of body that a person has and the kind of physical features one has, those being representations of, uh, you know, other greater, graver, danger, more dangerous physical or moral illnesses. Uh, that's why the physical appearance and all of these small details are important. Anyway, uh, a cook had they with them for the nuns, nuns is occasion, to boil the chickens with the merry bones. Merry bones is the marrow bones. And powder merchant tart and galingale, well, could he know a draught of London ale? So the cook, uh, the guildsmen, uh, the, a cook had with them, them is the guildsmen, for the nun, as in for the occasion of the pilgrimage, the guildsmen had a cook with them to boil the chicken um, and with the merry bones, as in to, to cook the chicken for them, to make their food. And powder merchant tart and galingale, as in he was good enough to be able to know uh, you know, uh, to be able to create uh, powder merchant is a mixture of powdered spices. Galingale is sort of like ginger. It's used in Southeast Asia quite a lot. Well, could he know a draught of London ale? A London ale was supposed to be the strongest of the ales or uh, liquor. And he could uh, understand the differences between different uh, powdered uh, mixtures, uh, mixtures of different powdered spices, galingale, London ale. He knew everything about food and drink. Could he roast and seethe and broil and fry? Um, seethe is basically boil, so he could roast, he could boil, he could broil, he could fry, he could make Montreux, Montreux is stews, and well, bake a pie. So he could do all of these things, he's very good at his job. But great harm was it, as it thought me, that on his shin a mormel had he. A mormel is an ulcer, the scabies that we were just talking about. For a black monger that made he with the best, uh, a shipman was there warning for by west and so the last thing that you know about him is that he could make black mange. Black mange is uh, old French name for white food and it's made with cream chicken, rice and other kinds of flavors. So he could make black, black mange that made he with the best. He made the best black mange. Uh, with the best kind of ingredients so he was a good cook and then we come to the shipman the shipman was there warning for by west for aught i would he was of dirt mouth he rode upon a round sea as he cows and there was a shipman who was coming from far in the west and uh, for aught i know for all i know he was coming from dartmouth and on page number 78 it is given that dartmouth was a, a harbor from where 
uh, you know, uh, from where a lot of uh, pirates were known to come to originate from Dartmouth. So while this shipman could just actually be from Dartmouth, he not necessary that he that he is actually a pirate. But later on, whatever we come to know of him, he does seem to be a fairly corrupt and a fairly negative kind of a person. So the profile is one of a corrupt shipman. He comes from Dartmouth. It is an easy assumption to make that he is also a pirate. He rode upon a roundsy. A roundsy is a cart horse at best as he could. So it's not a very good kind of horse. We've heard about the animals that other uh, people in the general prologue have been keeping as best as he could, which means that he is not very good at riding, but he is a shipman. He doesn't really have to know how to ride a horse very well. In a gown of folding to the knee, folding is uh, woolen cloth, which is very, very strong. It's hardy, but it's not necessarily the best kind of cloth. So he was wearing a gown or a cape of, um, of um, folding, which came up to his knee. A dagger hanging on a lass or on a cord had he. So he carried a dagger around with him, tied to a cord around his neck, under his arm down, which is, um, so the cord went around his neck under one of his arms. That's how he'd slung it. <clears throat> the hood summer had made his hue all brown because the summer was hot, hood summer. Uh, that made his hue, hue is color, it's the word used in English is still H-U-E. His hue or his color was all brown, he was sun-tanned because he was so much out in the sun. I've said it before uh, once as well, that uh, looking at the complexion of the people, you could tell uh, those who work on the land, who do physical labor, who are out in the sun, their complexions would be ready, it would be ruddy they would be brown as opposed to other people whose complexions were for example if you remember the friar's complexion his neck is compared to the floral lee so a lily right his complexion is so uh, good it seems as if he never goes out at all which is the opposite of what a friar is supposed to do so again everything is indicative of certain kinds of moral or professional um, you know qualities and certain he was a good fellow. <laughs> good fellow here is of course, um, it can have a lot of meanings. But it, it's, this is not a moral judgment here. Literally, it means, this is on page number 78, one who is good companion but probably implying that he is a rascal. Compare the summoner who is also a good fellow and the summoner is also a corrupt fellow. Right? So, it just means that he is good fun or he is good company, not that he is morally or ethically a good person. For many a draught of wine had he draw from Bodo word while that the chapman sleep. So this is this was again a very common practice as it's already given um, here on page number 78. Bodo is a place which produces wine and the wine is supposed to be very good. Bodo wine is supposed to be very very good. So there were a lot of traders who accompanied their ships uh, when they um, when they exported or imported uh, things like wine from places like Bordeaux. And what this means is, full many a draught of wine had he draw from Bordeaux word while that the chapman sleep. The chapman is the merchant who actually owns the wine and he is, when he when he would be on these ships which would be bringing wine from Bordeaux, uh, he would draw many draughts of wine as in he would take out or he would uh, steal many draughts or many measures of wine uh, while the merchant was sleeping and he didn't know that the shipman uh, who was carrying his, uh, his his things was actually stealing from him. 
of nice conscience to Kino keep. So of nice conscience, as in scrupulous conscience, he ha- he he made no um, he made no effort to have a scrupulous conscience. He was okay being a rascal. He was okay being somebody who was corrupt. If that he fought and had the hide a hound. Hide a hound is the upper hand. If he fought somebody and if he had the upper hand in the fight, by water he sent them home to every land. And this basically means that it's a common practice uh, or it was earlier a common practice that if you were caught by the pirates, if they took over or if they stole from your ship, then they would basically send them, sending people home. Um, you know, that was a slang which was used by pirates to mean that they would throw people into the sea where they would die. So by water he sent them home basically means that he would push them off of the plank. They, the people would be made to walk over planks and then pushed into the water to every land. So in every country he has done that. But of his craft to reckon well his tides as in of his craft which is to know sea tides which is to know how to manage ships well his tides he knew his craft very well his streams as in the currents of water and his draw and his dangers him besides he knew all the dangers that were there uh, uh, you know in the seas on the waters as a shipman uh, he knew the currents he knew the weather he knew how to calculate the wind he knew everything so as a shipman of his craft he knew everything that was to be known his harbor and his moon his lord mange there was noon switch from hull to carthage so he knew his harbors where the best harbors were he knew the moons the moons were supposed to influence the tides the high tides the low tides it's a common um, it, it's a common conception even now and the lord mange is the pilotage um, so he knew everything that was to be known about his craft he knew the harbors he knew the moons he knew the, he knew the currents the weather's everything there was none as such as in there was none like him all the way from hull which is in england to carthage uh, probably a reference to cartagena which is in spain or carthage which is in north africa but it's most probably a reference to spain um, as um, harry trogonathan says on page number 80 harry he was advised to undertake as in he knew what kind of risks wise to undertake which risks to undertake that's basically what he is he was hardy as in he was prudent but also it could mean that he was hard working and he knew which risks were worth taking and which weren't with many a tempest had his beard been shaken so he has been uh, in a lot of tempests he's seen a lot of you know rough weather on the sea he knew all the heavens or the harbors that's what it means he knew all the harbors as they were he knew the reality of all the harbors from gutland to the cape of finister gutland is gotland uh, is off the coast of sweden which was important to Sweden at this time finister is again uh, in galicia in spain so he has been to all of these places been to all the harbors and the sort of a listing of a number of important harbors is a trick that uh, is is a sort of it's not exactly a trick but uh, it's something that chaucer does very very often you remember he does the same thing with the knight also by listing by creating this sort of um, a homer homer like list of all the places and all the um, you know um all the wars that the knight has been to it's it's a little similar here and in the next profile which is daughter of doctor of physic so the doctor of physic is also given credence about his own profession 
by using a lot of jargon that is one way in which chaucer shows off a that he knows about the professions um what this does is um by using for example jargon like lord mange and in a lot of other places uh, in the doctor of physic also if you remember at the sergeant of law we had words like chevissons and uh, document right uh, all of these were words which only people who belonged to these particular professions would know very well other people might have read or heard about them but they wouldn't really know exactly what they meant so chaucer is giving credibility and credence to the profiles that he is drawing by using this kind of jargon which was profession specific but at the same time he is also sort of reaching out to a larger public he is also creating a sense uh, that his audience or his readers are of a much um, higher or a much wider range than just the aristocracy remember that uh till now literature is still uh, it functions within the parameters or within the structures of the patronage system and it's usually written in the style of the chivalric romance because the readers are usually aristocrats and chaucer is slightly different um in uh, in a in creating such a large variety of people from the middle class and some from the low middle classes also but even the language that he uses and the jargon that he uses um it is one that would have been understood by most educated people not just the aristocracy in fact the aristocracy would know much less about these things because they did not have access to information about all of these professions they did not have to work for their living so in that sense it's a it's, it's a little bit uh, it's a very shrewd usage of language and jargon that chaucer makes here coming back to the shipman uh, he knew all the heavens as they were from gutland to the cape of finister and every creek or every uh, creek you know what it is an inlet in brittany which is in france and in spain his barge he clept was the madeleine his he clept basically means it was called his barge as his ship was called madeleine madeleine uh, but we don't know what the ship man is called so this that's interesting and also um, do you notice that chaucer seems to give the names of the people at least apart from the priors almost everybody whose name he is given he seems to give their names at the end of their profiles rather than at the beginning that's how you would expect him to begin he is such a person this is his name and so on and so forth but he seems to divide the people on the basis of the professions not on the basis of their estates or on the basis of their names anyway so with us there was a doctor of physic there is a huge um description of uh, the profession on page number 80 please read it wherever it's required i'll refer to it only in those uh, places with us there was a doctor of physic in all this world nee was there noon him like which means that in all this world there was nobody like him there was none like him to speak of physic and of surgery there's nobody who could speak of physic as in of um of his trade and of surgery nobody could speak like him there are two ways in which this particular line has been um, sort of analyzed and understood one is of course that there was nobody there he was the best physician or he was the best surgeon there ever was and the other one is there was nobody who could talk as well as he could and talking and being actually being good at what you do are two very very different things so maybe what he wants to tell us about the doctor of physic is and he talks a big game um and so he can use all of these big names which he is going to use in just about a minute's time uh but the narrator doesn't know exactly how good a physician he actually is 
um, so that's important. Uh, to speak of physics and surgery, for he was grounded in astronomy. Um, astronomy was considered to be an important part of medicine because it was believed that the planets and their motions and yeah, their involvement around, um, you know, around the Earth, around the person, and the zodiac signs—all of these things actually had a great impact on what the person's health was like. And so, for a doctor, it was uh, it was very important that he knew astronomy and he was well versed in astronomy. He kept his patient a full great deal in hours by his magic natural. Now, magic natural here is important. I'll come to the rest in a while, in, in a little bit. Uh, magic natural is a magic of nature, of herbs, of medicine, as opposed to black magic, which is the magic of, um, you know, of the heathens, of the pagans. And the third kind of magic would then be the white magic, which is uh, that which is, um, which is practiced by religion, right, by Christianity, that is white magic. So magic natural here is also another instance of jargon. Uh, for he was grounded, he was well grounded in astronomy. Here astronomy actually means astrology, not astronomy the way that we understand it, but it is to do with the planets. Uh, he kept his patient in full great deal and he watched over his planet in hours. Now here it's very important. On page number 80, the description of this word hours is actually given. It doesn't mean that he watched over his patients or he looked after his patients for hours and hours at a stretch. These are not clock hours but astrological hours which divide the period of daylight into 12 equal parts, each of which is under the influence of a certain planet. The period of darkness is also so divided. The hours also affected the humors. If you remember, we talked about the four humors, which are part of the, which affect how the body is and uh, the condition of the body as well. Well, could he fortune in the ascendant? Again, the dominant planet, which which planet was dominant would, uh, you know, sort of, uh, which would decide what kind of health or what kind of temperament a person had and so on and so forth. Uh, the description of this particular line is also given on page number 80. Please read it through. But it is in the same reference and in the same context that I have been talking about of his images for his patients. So he could sort of make up like these charts. Uh, looking at his patients, he could make up these charts which would which would be very accurate about which planet is in ascendancy, which planet is in descend, which, which planet is descending and so on and so forth. And he could make them for his patients and hence, you know, he could cure them like that. He knew the cause of average or every one of the malady. He knew how every malady was caused. Whether it, whether it of hoot or cold, hoot is hot, whether it was because of the heart, the cold, the moisture, the dry, and where they engendered, as in where these maladies were being generated in the body, which part of the body were these being generated in, and of what humor. Again, humors, uh, the idea of the hot, cold, moist, dry is given on page number 82. Please read it through. He was a very perfect practitioner. Practitioner is practitioner. Very is true. He was a completely true, completely perfect, a full practitioner. He knew his trade. The cause he knew and of his harm, the root, he could know what the cause of every malady was, what that malady, what harm that malady could do and what the root of that malady was, right? Anon, at once, he gave the Sikh man his boot. Sikh is sick. Uh, so at once and he would know looking at a man exactly what the root cause of the malady would be and what the harm would be and as soon as he knew at once he would give the sick man his boot, boot would be remedy. 
for ready had he his apothecaries apothecaries were chemists and chemists were called so because um in um, you know in this time and for a very very long time afterwards as well chemists were people who dealt with chemicals and they uh, actually made the medicines on the prescription of the doctors themselves medicines were not always made by these big pharma companies the chemists the chemists would actually make the prescribed medicines by hand that's why they were called chemists that's why they're still called chemists at least that's the reason why and they were at this time were called apothecaries and it was a very common um, kind of um, practice in medieval europe at this time that doctors and apothecaries would get together and uh, the doctors would give false uh, or exaggerated prescriptions the chemists would also do so the doctors would send patients to particular chemists and they would both make money in the process full ready had he his apothecaries to send him drugs and his lecturers lecturers were syrups so every time that you went to him he knew exactly what was wrong with you he had his apothecaries that he knew who would send him drugs and syrups immediately for each of them made other for to win for each of them is the doctor and the apothecary for each of them both the doctor and the apothecary made each other for to win is to profit each of them made profit for the other they both helped each other make a lot of money their friendship has not new to begin so their friendship had not begun just now their friendship was pretty old they had been doing this for a very long time so the doctor of physics has been cheating on his patients for a very very long time but this was seen as a common practice by doctors so it was not something shocking for the for the medieval readers well he knew the old escalpius and descurides and also rufus old hippocrates haley and galen these are all either arabian or greek um, you know um, classical writers who wrote medical treatises the reference is given on page number 82 and 84 serapion rases avicenna averroes damasian constantine bernard gadsden gilbertine you remember i was just saying that you know um chaucer gives this like homer like list of um list of things a list of um events or persons or things which creates the sense of grandeur and that's exactly what chaucer is doing here as well and of his diet measurable was he so of himself for himself he ate his diet in a very very moderate fashion so he was very careful of what he ate what he did not eat right for it was of no superfluity there was no excess superfluous is excessive so he ate everything in moderation nothing in excess but of great nourishing and digestible he only ate what was nourishing he only ate what he could digest his study was but little on the bible in sanguine and in purse he was clad he was clad he clad was all so his study he did not study the bible too much but this basically means um you know this was a common saying on page number 84 harry trognathan gives this a common saying of the time was where there are three doctors there are two atheists doctors perhaps came under suspicion of being atheists as they consulted so many non christian authorities a lot of them were um, you know arabic or greek a lot of them were heathen a lot of them were pagan because they were they existed in pre christian times
So they were considered to be less inclined towards religion and as I've already said multiple times in different profiles, religion was the mainstay. It was the basic fundamental sort of pillar on which the whole society stood. So his study was but little on the Bible. He studied, he did not study the Bible too much, so probably he was an atheist. In San Juan, as in, in blood red, and in purse, which is slate blue, he clad was all. <clears throat> Again, to be able to have uh, these kind of colorful clothes, he would have had to have a lot of money. Lined with taffeta and with sandal. Taffeta were costly and fine silks, which are used for lining. So everything about him suggests that he is fairly well off and prosperous. And yet he was but easy of dispense. As in, he was very moderate also in his dispense, his expenditure. He was a little miserly. Perhaps that's what the narrator is trying to say. Even though he had a lot of money, he clearly spent a lot of it on his clothes. But he was a little miserly. He did not spend his money very, very easily. He kept that he won in pestilence. And he kept that he won is he uh, the profit that he made. He kept it. And when did he make this profit in the pestilence? Perhaps this is a reference to the plague. So there were frequent out, outbreaks of plagues. Uh, <laughs> and it's a little ironic that we're talking about it at this time, at the time of the corona plague as well. Um, I, but that's what it is. So in medieval Europe, Chaucer is saying that there were a lot of doctors who made a lot of money out of the plague, uh, not necessarily by treating these people. Uh, but just by duping them into thinking that they had some sort of um, uh, remedy for the plague and I won't be surprised if that happens now as well. But anyway, so he kept all the money that he won in the pestilence during the plague for gold and physic is a cordial, therefore he loved gold and special. A cordial is actually a medicine, it's supposed to be a medicine which is good for the heart. And this is an ironic reference to something called Orum Putabil, which is a liquid medicine which contains gold. But this is also a reference to um, gold uh, as in alchemy. There's a lot of doctors who are also alchemists because they studied chemistry, they studied chemicals, uh, a lot of the apothecaries and a lot of doctors were also alchemists. Therefore, he loved gold and special could be a reference to three things. One is that gold is medicine, so the doctors love them. The second is that the you know they loved gold, so this could be a reference that he is an alchemist, that he is trying to make gold out of base metals. And the third is, of course, the fact that he has made a lot of gold, he's made a lot of money, he's even made money during the plague. So, of course, he loves gold and he is corrupt. The next profile is that of the wife of Bath, but we have definitely done it in a lot of. Um, uh, in a lot of detail in the class, so I'm going to skip that. I'm going to come to the uh, profile of the parson. The, pas the parson also we have done in class, but this was the last class, and I think there were very few of you. So I'm going to go over the parson's profile uh, in little detail, and I'm just going to sort of breeze through the parson as well as the plowman. They are both brothers. The plowman's profile is the one after the parson's. The parson and the plowman are two ideal profiles in the Canterbury Tales, and um, um, as I've already said in many lectures before, the parson's profile is not just, is, it's not the usual kind of descriptive technique. It does not use or it does not employ the kind of usual descriptive techniques that Chaucer does uh, employ or the narrator employs, which is of listing out all the things that these people do. The parson's profile is actually given in negation. In uh, So, uh, you know, the narrator talks about all the things that he doesn't do. 
he doesn't cheat he doesn't um, you know skimp money he doesn't um, uh, he he does, he's not indifferent to his parishioners and so on and so forth so by by the you know by the by using the narrative technique of double negation right he's not a cheat which means that he is a fair person that he is not dishonest which means that he is honest that's how the person is described what that does is that it not only does it tell you what this person does and what he is like but it also tells you what regular or what um, a lot of persons were how they would cheat their parishioners so it does become like a double edged um, estate satire in that sense a good man was there of religion this is on page number 87 again um you find references to the person in the introduction on pages 19 26 and 27 we have already talked about it we are also going to use the essay on page number 144 which is the essay by helen cooper which is called an encyclopedia of kind but we are going to come to that in a minute's time a good man was there of religion and was a poor person of a town right he was a man of religion and he was a poor person and he lived in a town but rich he was a holy thought and work he was poor as in he didn't have money but he was rich in holy thought and in holy work he was also a learned man a clerk we've already talked about how the clerks were scholars so he is he's a person but he is also a clerk that christ's gospel truly would preach he truly preached and disseminated the christ's gospel his teachings his parishioners so his parishioners those who belong to his parish devoutly would he teach he would teach the teachings of christ and of the gospel very very devoutly if you remember it was the friar who said that it's just not or the monk sorry the monk who said that it's no use reading the gospel or reading you know the scriptures because they're old fashioned the person is not like that he's the exact opposite of that benign he was and wonder diligent uh, wonder is to wander around w a n d e r that's the way in which we use the word nowadays wandered is to visit to go around he was benign as in he was uh, benevolent and he would diligently go around and visit his parishioners and in adversity full patient whenever there was adversity whenever there were difficult times he was completely patient and such he was he proved often sights he proved is he had proved this many a times that he was patient in adversity that he was diligent that he loved to teach his parishioners he's proven it many many times how the narrator knows us we don't know it but still full loose were him to curse him for its tides full loot as in he was loath to or he did not like to he was unwilling to curse for its tides tides were taxes which people were supposed to give and uh, when people did not give the 10% tax that uh, you know everybody was supposed to give on their services on their product everybody was supposed to give a 10% tax to the crown if they did not give it then the parishioners or the parsons were asked to curse people and this curse could then you know be extended to excommunication and this was a huge problem people were really scared of being cursed which meant that they would go to hell so um you know again that was a great fear in uh, medieval england and uh, <clears throat> this person did not like he loathed if he had to curse for his tithes which means that he did not like doing it and he did not do it but rather would he even out of doubt 
as in he would give out of his own money he would give whatever money he had without a doubt the narrator says i'm sure of it i don't doubt it that he would give out of his own pocket in uh, you know to help people pay their tithes people pay their taxes instead of cursing them for it and to his poor parishioners about he would give it to his parishioners of his offering and eke of his substance right so his offering is the offering that is made to the church part of it was also for the parsons because the parsons needed a little bit of money for their living right so whatever the parishioners gave to the church some of it was used uh, by the parsons for their own livelihood and he was very happy to give away from whatever was his offerings and whatever was his sustenance as in even from his private capital he wouldn't mind giving it to people so that they could pay their tithes but he wouldn't curse them now you remember that this is actually uh what the parson does and what the plowman does it is the complete opposite of what the others do the friar if you remember what is said about the friar is that he would take a farthing even from a widow who doesn't have money for to put shoes on her feet so there are people who would take what does not belong to them even from people who can't afford to give as opposed to this person who would give away his own earnings so what is rightfully even in terms of religion right what is morally and ethically his own right his own worth his own money even that he would give away and there might be a little bit of an undercutting here which also might be saying that that's also going a little too far because christianity actually does say that when you make money earnestly uh, from a hard day's work you deserve whatever you get in return and you don't obviously get a lot but still so his sustenance would not have been alone but still he was happy giving it away he could in little thing have sufficient or have sufficient in little in very little money he could find sufficient he was happy to live in very little wide was his parish and houses far asunder so his parish was you know um, it was very large and houses were very far apart parishioners or uh, parsons were um, sorry not parishioners persons were required to um, go and visit their parishioners even if they lived in different places even if they lived far apart and a lot of times because these um, persons did not have a lot of money they couldn't afford horses they would walk throughout the way and that was a very common kind of an attribute <clears throat> of uh, diligent or hard working persons so unto his poor parishioners about of his offering an eke of his sustenance he could in little thing have sufficient white was his parish and houses far as under but he ne left nat for rain or thunder so he did not miss out on visiting anybody whether it rained or whether there was thunder it did not matter he visited everyone he was of course he did his work well in sickness or in mischief to visit mischief here doesn't mean um, you know it doesn't have the negative connotation here it means people who are in trouble people who are sick or people who are in trouble they would be visited by the person the person would go there would go to them to give them um, you know religious solace to give them moral strength to support them um, the forest or the farthest in his parish much and light great and humble so whether people were much and light basically means people who were poor or rich people who had a lot they had much or they were light they had little right he would go to the farthest ends of his parish 
to visit everyone whether it was rich people or poor people upon his feet and in his hand a staff so he would take a walking stick and he would visit all of them on feet that first he wrought and afterward he taught right sorry this noble example to his sheep he was yaf is was he was a noble example to his sheep that first he wrought as in first he acted and afterwards he taught so he first did good things himself and then his then by example he taught people how to be and this reference to the parson to the parishioners as sheep makes him the shepherd which is a common image used for christ right the christ is the lord shepherd and everybody is his sheep and that's the same um sort of uh, metaphor used for the parish for the parson as well that's high praise indeed out of the gospel he those words got he took those words out of the gospel and this and what words he got out of the gospel that first you act and then you teach and this figure this metaphor he added also uh, and he i he used this figure of speech what figure of speech what example did he actually use he said he used to say that if gold rust what shall iron do so he is saying i am gold i have to be pure so if i rust if i become corrupted then those who are lesser than me those who don't have the same kind of religious learning and uh, you know intellectual learning that i do they will obviously become corrupt because they are like iron and if i corrupt they would corrupt as well so he would often use this phrase again how the narrator can come about all of these specific examples from the lives of these people one doesn't know but uh, there it is for if a priest be foul on whom we trust no wonder is a lewd man to rust so if a priest can become foul if a priest like himself like a parson can become corrupt can become foul and we trust persons not to become foul on whom we trust we place their our trust in them no wonder is a lewd here basically means an uneducated man people who don't have the scriptural learning that he has no wonder that a, that that an uneducated man is going to become corrupt and shame it is if a priest take keep as in if if a priest you know will take heed or will uh, will give attention to a shaitan shepherd and a clean sheep right so he's saying it's not a good idea and if it becomes that uh, the shepherd is shaitan is his filthy he's corrupt then there can be no clean sheep a shepherd has to be clean first well ought a priest an example for to give well ought as in uh, a priest ought to give an example first by his cleanliness uh, the priest has to be clean it has to be pure and that's the example that he has to set how that his sheep should live and the sheep will follow his example and learn how to live he set not his benefice to hire benefice to hire means uh, a lot of priests persons could actually go to places like london and they could actually um, you know they could offer their religious services to other people um there is a reference to this given um, on page number 88 please read that so his benefice if you remember is also you know uh, and priests and persons could actually have assistants who could do all the physical work for them for a little bit of money so he could hire people to do the work of the parish but he said not his benefice to hire he did not give out the work of his parish he did not hire it out to anyone 
and let his sheep encumbered in the mire so that you know he did not care whether his sheep or his parishioners were encumbered in mire as in mire is dirt that they were becoming dirty they were becoming corrupt morally corrupt here that is a reference so he he did not leave his work to somebody else and if he left his work to somebody else of course his parishioners would be encumbered in mire and he cared a lot that that should not happen and ran to london unto saint paul's to seek in him a shrinery for the souls uh, the reference to this is also given on page number 88 saint paul's cathedral or his precinct uh, was a recognized meeting place for guilds to hire priests or for priests to appoint such appointments right to find and obtain such appointments and priests who would be working with rich guilds of course they would have a lot of money because they would get a lot of offering the shantri is an endowment for a priest as in money given to a priest so that he could say mass for the soul of the dead and this would basically mean that people could would give money to the priest so that they would um, you know say um, say prayers on masses for the souls of those who have died or with a brother to be withholden or with a brotherhood to be appointed in the guilds that's what it means so he didn't go to london he did not try to seek out uh, you know ways in which he could make more money either becoming associated with guilds or saying shantri for the souls he didn't do all of that but dwelled at home as in he lived at home he lived in his parish and kept well his fold he looked after his fold the fold is a sheep uh, the people who are part of his parish so that the wolf ne made it not miscarry the wolf is a reference to the devil here uh, he kept at home he kept his sheep well in fold and this actually um, you know um, this is um, he is taking the metaphor forward the sheep are threatened by the wolf just like people are threatened by the devil right uh, so um, he took care of his fold he took care of his sheep so that the wolf would not come and uh, you know uh, corrupt them the devil would not come and corrupt them or you know um, bring them to grief he was a shepherd and not a mercenary right and though he holy were and virtuous he was to sinful men not despicable so um, you know though he holy were he was very holy he was very virtuous but he did not preach too much he did not look down on people who were sinful he was to sinful men not scornful now this is a reference to how christianity or christ actually um, you know sort of projects perfection in the sense that if somebody is um, somebody does something wrong you have to be uh, careful about hating not the sinner but the sin so the person anybody is capable of being forgiven anybody is capable of being absolved and that's exactly what he does so the person is absolutely perfect in that sense knee of his speech dangerous knee digne as in when he spoke to these people who were sinful his speech would neither become dangerous as in he would not scold them nor would it become disrespectful or you know disdainful he would not look down on them but in his teaching discreet and benign but when he would teach them when he would talk to them he would be discreet he would be benign he would be benevolent he would be soft he would be gentle to drawn folk to heaven by fairness right he he was drawing people unto um, heaven and he was being fair about it now this could also be a reference to the way in which the partner or the summoner are taking money or even the friar they're taking money and they're saying you're absolved of your sins so you can get to heaven now you don't have to go to hell because your sins are wiped clean 
but that's not the fair way of going to heaven and of course nobody will go to heaven like that but the parson is different because he draws folk to heaven by fairness by good example this was his business right his business was he did this as in he drove people towards heaven by good example that's the business that he was in but it were any person obstinate but if he met any person who was obstinate who was stubborn and who would not listen to him what so he were of high or low estate even if this person this obstinate person was of high or low estate he belonged to a rank or a class which was either high or low not just a high class him would he snibben sharply for the nuns nuns is occasion you remember we read the word um, when we were talking about the cook the uh, <coughs> gilsman had a cook for the nuns right uh but if the person would find a person who was obstinate irrespective of whether he belonged to a high caste or a low caste and this person was stubborn then he would re- rebuke that person sharply snibben is rebuke that person sharply a better priest i thrown that no way none is so the narrator is saying i do i declare that there is no where a priest better than him he waited after no pomp and reverence as in he looked after or he looked for he sought no pomp no respect as in he did not want anything in return for the work that he was doing me made him a spiced conscience but christ's lore and his apostles 12 he taught and first he followed it himself <clears throat> now this basically means that he was not over concerned with the finer points uh as in he did not uh, you know he knew what was important and he followed that and what was important was the christ's lore and whatever the 12 apostles talked about and he taught uh, all of these important things but before he taught them he followed them himself with him there was a plowman was his brother his brother is the parson's brother the plowman is the parson's brother the plowman is the other ideal profile that had ye lad of dung full many a father so a plowman were basically people who would give their labor for hire in um, you know in fields uh, they would not be very very uh, prosperous people because they were sort of like laborers but not um, not really uh, you know hand to mouth kind of that kind of poor laborers would basically they would plow the fields that's why they were called plowmen in their old field um they were uh, experts so they could make a decent amount of money but basically he's saying that this plowman had carried many cart loads of dung um you know and he had done basically it means that he had done a lot of work he was a hard laborer a true swinker and a good was he he was a true swinker is a good laborer he was he was truly um you know he was a truly hard worker and he was good living in peace and perfect charity he lived in peace he loved he lived in perfect charity god loved he best with all his whole heart now here again uh, the the plowman's um, profile is slightly different from the parson's because this is uh, narrated in positive terms he loved god best which is exactly what he what he should do at all times though him granted uh, do him gamed or smart so he loved god best with his whole heart at all times he always loved god do him gamed is pleasure or smart is pain so irrespective of whether he was having a good time or he was in pain he always loved god best with all of his heart and then his neighbor right as himself 
and then after God he loved his neighbor as he loved himself and this is one of the fundamental teachings of Christianity so really the plowman is like a perfect person perfect Christian just like right out of the book he would thresh threshing is uh, part of the whole agricultural process where you try to separate the grain from the uh, husk and there to dike and delve and he would also dig ditches uh, for Christ's sake for every poor white without an hire if it lay in his might this means that if for every poor white is for every poor person he would dig a ditch or a dike or he would thresh he would do all of these things for every poor person without an hire means without taking any money if it lay in his might if it was up to him if he could afford it then he would do it without any hire without taking any payment for Christ's sakes as in in the name of God he would help his neighbors he would help every poor person that he could possibly help even if it did not get him any money his tithes paid his full fare and well uh, we talked about tithes even in the parson's profile you remember this was the tax that was given to the um, government there were many people who tried to skip out of giving tithes uh, you remember the sergeant at law also cheated when he was trying to buy off land in fee simple but not the parson or the plowman they're not trying to cheat the government they're not trying to cheat anyone they're you know perfect citizens his tithes were played paid full and fair both of his proper swing and his cattle cattle is basically goods right um, and he would pay the taxes on his work also he would pay the taxes of his goods also in a tabard he rode upon a mare a mare is a female horse and here um, he is basically it, it says that he was wearing a smock and he is uh, riding on a mare which is a she horse now a she horse was um, was considered to be um, you know an animal which was not it was seen as being um, of low status but the plowman of course doesn't care right <clears throat> there was also a reeve and a miller a summoner and a partner also a mansiple and myself there were no more the miller was a stout car carl or a fellow for the noons he was especially a stout fellow full big he was of brawn and also of bone so he was this huge big fellow his complexion was brown and he was swarthy he had a lot of muscle on him and he had big bones that proved well for over all there he came which means that this was good for him that he was well built he was built in a big way because wherever he went at wrestling he would have always the ram the ram or uh, the ram was the most common prize in wrestling matches so at wrestling he would always have the ram basically means that wherever he went he would always get the prize in wrestling he was so well built um <clears throat> the miller's portrait is very much like that you would find in an estate satire um everything that he does is a reference to the corruption that is become symptomatic of his profession in chaucer's time he was short shouldered broad and a thick nar a thick nar he he was short shouldered he was a broad person and he was a he was a thick set fellow right he was short and stocky 
there was no door that he not have of heart there wasn't a door that he couldn't sort of break off even off of his hinges he was so strong or break it at a running with his head or he would use his head like 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 a bar and he would charge at a door and he could break any door so it's basically he has a lot of physical strength and he takes clearly he takes a lot of pride in it we don't we've not heard of what he does as a professional yet but uh, and this is the way in which chaucer's narrator actually brings the sort of um, you know profiles alive by paying attention to the things that seem to be the most important to every person so for the miller it seems as if what is more important than his profession even though we don't know his name we only know that he's a miller by profession but what seems to be more more important than his profession is the fact that he is this well built sixet man who is very good at wrestling and he has a lot of physical prowess coming back to the profile or break it at a running with his head his beard as any so or fox was red again the animal imageries a so is a female pig so his beard was as red as is a female pig or as a fox and there to broad it was very broad also as though it were a spade a spade is you know the shovel upon the cup or upon the tip right of his nose he had a wart he had a wart right at the tip of his nose and there on stood a tuft of hair and from that wart massa <laughs> uh, in hindi there were there sort of stood like a couple of hair from that wart red as the bristles of a sow's ear right there again the reference to a sow that's twice that we have heard that reference now in as much as five lines and these hair were also red as um, you know as red as a sow's ear as red as a pig's ear uh, his nostrils black were and wide he had black nostrils they were very wide a sword and a buckler bore he by his side he carried a sword and a buckler which is a shield his mouth as great was as is a great furnace now furnace is has a lot of fire and his mouth seemed like it was huge it could consume things right that's a slightly scary image he was a jangler which means that he was loud mouthed he spoke a lot and a goliader goliader is a scurrilous talker as in he liked to talk a lot of gossip he talked about a lot of scandalous things and that was most of sin and harlotry as in they were all harlotry is harlots are uh, prostitutes so it's the same root word it doesn't mean that he was talking about uh, you know harlots or or about prostitutes but most of his stories most of his scandalous talk was of sinning and of indecent uh, things well could he steal corn and tell thrice so millers were basically people who dealt in grain so this is the first time we get to know uh, what he does or how he is as a professional miller well could he steal corn he could steal corn and he could actually charge it for three times so he was he he knew how to sort of you know he knew the tricks of the trades he knew how to be in you know unfair and make money and yet he had a thumb of gold um this is a medieval saying which basically means an honest miller has a thumb of gold and proverbially uh, this is this was a this is given on page number 92 it basically meant that there are no such thing as honest millers because there cannot be a thumb of gold so there are no honest millers this is a reference to that uh, saying and yet he had a thumb of gold pardi pardi is i swear a white coat and a blue hood 
wore he he wore a white coat and a blue hood a bagpipe well could he blow and sown and therewithal he brought us out of town so the miller knows how to play the bagpipes very well bagpipes playing bagpipes required very very strong lungs so that means again we round off with the same reference of physical strength that the miller is so uh, proud of and um, there were a lot of people who complained that the pilgrims wherever they went they played the bagpipes and people were never very happy about it but uh, according to uh, you know uh, ragunathan gives a very interesting uh, reference here on page number 90 about the physical appearance of the miller the detail chaucer gives of the miller's appearance would have been significant to his medieval audience professor curry has shown that a red beard suggests treachery white black nostrils were a sign of lust and anger and the miller's strong high shoulders and thick build mean that he is a shameless immodest and loquacious The wart with hairs on it implies shameful fornication and a violent nature, while the large mouth fits the profile of a babbler, liar, and one in the habit of swearing. So, um, this all adds up to whatever we have been talking about till now. I am going to stop here. For all the rest of the profiles, I think we would need just one more lecture, and then we are done.